this morning, and uh, we pray that we might all know God's blessing. Special welcome to any who are visiting with us, and also to those who are joining with us online. The first thing I have to do is to read this edict in connection with the call to the Reverend Callum Smith, and this has to be read this morning and tonight as well. In name and by appointment of the Free Presbytery of the Western Isles, I hereby intimate that in consequence of an application from this congregation, the said Presbytery have agreed to meet at Stornway Free Church on Wednesday 20th April at 7pm for the purpose of moderating in a close call to Reverend Callum Smith to be the Assistant Minister of this congregation. <clears throat> Reverend Colin MacLeod will preach and preside. Now you should have uh, the bulletin, so just take your time going through it. Of course, as you know, the, the school, because of the school holidays, the Sunday school is closed and starts again on the 24th of April. Uh, Deacon's Court meeting tomorrow evening by Zoom. And then you have a list of uh, the, the, the meetings uh, throughout the week. And again, if we could maybe highlight with regard to the call to the Reverend Callum Murdo, we just read the edict, uh, but it is important that as many people as possible could attend in person on Wednesday, uh, to Wednesday the 20th to sign the call so that the presbytery can ascertain the level of support for the calling of Mr. Smith. And then it says, if you're unable to be present, you can sign a form known as a mandate, authorizing one of the elders to add your name to the call. Separate mandate forms are used for communicant members and for regular hearers who are not communicants. For all who are housebound or just not likely to attend the meeting, your district elder will contact you and encourage for you to sign the relevant mandate form. Please contact your district elder if you wish to sign a mandate form or are unsure about any of these matters. And the deadline for completing the mandates is Friday the 15th, that's this Friday. So take your time reading through uh, all the items in the bulletin. We'll begin our worship singing to God's praise from Psalm 1a, Psalm 1a, and sing Psalms, <clears throat> Psalm 1a, sing the whole psalm, blessed is the one who turns away from where the wicked walk, who does not stand in sinner's paths or sit with those who mock. Instead, he finds God's holy law, his joy and great delight. He makes the precepts of the Lord his study day and night. He prospers ever like a tree that's planted by a stream, and in due season yields its fruit, its leaves are always green. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that's blown away. They will not stand when judgment comes or with a righteous day. It is the Lord who sees and knows the way the righteous go, but those who live an evil life, the Lord will overthrow. Psalm 1a, the whole psalm, blessed is the one who turns away.
as we bow before you today, we pray that we may indeed be made wise by the words that we sing. We give thanks for your word, that it is a word that makes wise for salvation. It's a word that sheds a light on our path. It's a word that encourages in the way that we should go and that helps us to understand really why we're here. So many people are grappling with just even these big questions. What's the purpose of my existence? Why am I here? But you have shown us in your word that it's very clear that we are here for your glory's sake and that it is our great purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And it's only as we come into your word that we're able to understand that, and you have made this possible for us in and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks, O Lord, that you've shown us the way of salvation, because otherwise we couldn't work it out ourselves. We give thanks, O Lord, for the fact that you are the great and majestic, glorious God, the God whose knowledge is beyond our understanding, the God whose ways are beyond our understanding. Because I'm sure every single one of us here at some point or another, we have to say that we're confused and baffled by the providence of God. Sometimes we would say it doesn't make sense to us. And yet help us to have the faith to look beyond this and to know that you know even when we don't. And that there is a purpose behind everything. We're told that there is a purpose in everything under heaven. And we give thanks, Lord, that you are able to turn the things which are so bad and painful and the things which are so disappointing and hurtful and that you're able to bring good out of it. Not that there's good sometimes. Often there's no good in and of itself in what, is, what the experiences that we may go through. But, Lord, you're able afterwards to bring, to bring something out of it. And so we pray that we may indeed realize that you work in ways that are mysterious and grant us the faith to see it. I'm sure that many, when they looked on Jesus on the cross, they saw that as the end of everything they had hoped in and believed in. And yet his very death was to lead on to the resurrection and it was to lead on into the breaking forth of the massive movement of the Christian faith. And so we pray that we may see from these things the way, the mysterious way, that so often you work. We pray that you'll bless us all here today. We all need you. We're all here with our own variety of needs. Sometimes these needs are physical, sometimes they're mental, sometimes they're spiritual, sometimes they're a collection of all, sometimes they're emotional, and we pray in all the different situations that people go through uh, with regard to relationship, with regard to work. Pray for those maybe who have lost work or can't find work just now. We pray, Lord, that you'll open doors for them. We pray especially for our young people in a very challenging time. And not so long ago, it seemed a time where there were so many opportunities, and yet everything has changed. We live in a world that is forever changing, and uh, often we cannot keep up with, with the change that is taking place. And there is such a degree of uncertainty about everything and with everything just now. It's a hard time. So we pray especially for our young people that you will be with them and that you will grant them a peace in their mind. There's so many people filled with anxiety and uncertainty. And we pray that 
into all of this that your peace will come and that you'll grant a sense of uh, your sovereign control even in what looks to be out of control. Lord, we, <coughs> we pray for, <coughs> for every age group, for all the different age uh, groups in life, and we ask, Lord, that you'll be with them, be with the elderly and those who no longer have the ability to get around and about and who are maybe housebound. We pray for them and we give thanks, Lord, for all the care. We give thanks for our care homes and the caring in our communities. And we uh, are so privileged to have these blessings. And uh, we pray for our elderly. And we ask, Lord, that you will be with them. Prepare them for the great change that will take place as they near uh, the end of life. We remember those who have experienced sorrow and pain through bereavement and loss. Death is never far away. It hits our homes, it hits our families, it hits our communities. Pray for the family of the late Ian Campbell uh, funeral we've had this week, and we pray for Amanda and all the family. Lord, we commit them to your care and keeping and ask that you will bind up their broken hearts and that you will help them uh, to be able to deal with the empty place and the silent voice. O oh Lord, our God, we realize that death is a great enemy. We pray for the family of D.R. McLeod, and uh, we pray for Maggie and all the family just now as they mourn his passing. And we pray for all families just now who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We ask, Lord, for those who are ill. We again remember uh, Duncan McLean and Danny MacArthur, and there are many, Lord, that we know are laid aside. We pray that you're gracious hand will be upon them, that you'll draw close to them and reveal yourself to them. O Lord, we pray that you will bless us as a nation. Bless us, Lord, in all our leadership, whether it be in uh, Westminster and Holyrood or here locally in the council. Grant wisdom and guidance to our leaders. O Lord, we pray that you will instill something of your wisdom and grace into their hearts to lead in the right way. Lord, we remember the situation in Ukraine and the horrors that are unfolding before us. And uh, there are no words to describe some of what we hear and what we see. And probably we've only seen a fraction of what has actually taken place. Oh Lord, we pray that you will bring peace and uh, that you will halt the oppressor. Where we see evil at work and uh, where we see nations which... that do not know the truth, where the truth is hidden from them. Lord, we pray for uh, nations that are suffering real oppression, and we pray for your people there. We pray for the church in Ukraine, and we pray for the church in Russia as well, because uh, we know that there are many in Russia who do know the truth, and many indeed who have protested against what is happening. O Lord, our God, we pray that into this world where there is so much uh, unsettledness and where there's so much conflict. We pray for the Yemen. Lord, we pray uh, for your people throughout this world, particularly in the dark areas. Your word tells us that there is cruelty in the dark places of the earth. No, oh, Lord, we pray that the light of your gospel will shine into places and into people's hearts. Do us good, then we pray, and cleanse us from our sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> I was going to say a wee word to the young folk. There's no Sunday school just now, but there's some young folk uh, out today. And uh, 
I may have mentioned this, but I was just reflecting on it uh, yesterday. Uh, many years ago, uh, I think Norman would probably just have been about five and maybe what might even be about seven. We were on holiday in Scalpy at the time. We were out fishing uh, with their granduncle, Donald. And uh, after going out for a wee bit, we all had lines. We laid down the lines with half a dozen hooks on the lines. And it, it was great because there was quite a lot of mackerel to be caught. There was saith and mackerel, and of course, as you know, the mackerel give a big kick and Sometimes, Marie and Norman were struggling with the lines because there'd be half a dozen uh, mackerel on them. And then all of a sudden, Norman gave out this shout and he said, help. And there were two or three mackerel, but there was a huge lithe on the end, of the, on the last line. So when we were pulling it in, he was screaming, it's a salmon, it's a salmon. No, I said, it's not a salmon, I'm afraid. It's, it's a lithe. And uh, Marie caught a lithe. It was great fishing. But he caught a lithe as well, and she gave it to her granddad because I remember when we went, she said, I'll, I'll get you a fish, I'll get you a good fish. So she gave the fish to the granddad. But the story, what, I'm, what I'm coming to is this, and I'll have to stress that he doesn't do this now, but he was telling everybody, Norman was telling everybody about the fish that he got. And that fish, every time he told, grew. So that first it was this size, and then, of course, it was this size. And I saw him out in the garden. There were another couple of young people. And I saw his hands out like that. So when, when he came in, I said, were you telling them about the fish? Oh, yes. And I thought, so often in life, we do that sort of thing, where we, we sort of exaggerate just to make it a little better. We like to make the story. We add, maybe add a little on just to make the story a little more exciting or... Uh, what we would think would add a little bit of shine to the story. But you know, there's one story that we don't ever, ever need to exaggerate in any shape or form. And that is a great gospel story. Because we couldn't add anything to it. It is perfect. What Jesus did when he came into this world to die for us in our place and to take our sin upon himself and to give us forgiveness and peace with God and give us a sense of God's love and God's purpose in our heart. You know, that's, that's the greatest thing that, that could ever be done in the world. And we can't make that story any better. It's the greatest story in the world. So we can't exaggerate it. Can't make it any bigger than it is. And Jesus tells us that if we believe in him, then that he will take us home to heaven with himself. And that is beyond our understanding. We couldn't even begin. We can't exaggerate about heaven because it is so extraordinary that it is beyond our understanding. In fact, the Bible kind of says, I hasn't seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for his people. It is so incredible that it is beyond our senses, it's beyond our mind, beyond our understanding. So let us give thanks to God for what he has done for us. And let us remember that this is what we have here in the gospel. We don't need to add anything to it. We can't make it any better than it is. It's the most wonderful, wonderful story, the most wonderful gift the world 
has ever known. Let's see the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to read God's word now in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, last book in the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pushed him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you have seen in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hairs on his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, 
and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. We're going to sing again from Psalm 96, again and sing Psalms. Psalm 96, we're going to sing verses 1 to 9. Psalm 96 and sing Psalms. That's on page 126. We sing verses 1 to 9. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing praises to his name. And his salvation day by day let all the earth proclaim. His glory and his mighty deeds to every land declare. How great and awesome is the Lord, with him no gods compare. For other gods are wood and stone, the Lord made heaven's height. All power and majesty are his, he dwells in glorious light. All nations to the Lord ascribe the glory that is due. Glory and strength ascribe to God and praise his name anew. Enter his courts with joy and bring an offering with you. Worship the Lord in holy fear, all earth before him bow. Psalm 96, 1 to 9 from Sing Psalms, so sing a new song to the Lord.
Let's turn now to the chapter we read in Revelation chapter 1, and reading again at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pushed him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The book of Revelation is quite an extraordinary book. It's full of great visual imagery, in many ways things terrible and great. Sometimes when you read it, you're left completely baffled by it because of all the imagery that's in it. But it's a very powerful book because it shows us that God is actually in control of everything. That's one of the great features that comes through from this book as you read it and study it, is that you see the control of God over, over all the nations, over all history, over all events, and that God is actually working everything to a predetermined end. And that's something we mustn't lose sight of. It's, a, it's quite an, an extraordinary thing to lay hold upon. And I suppose one of the great questions we have to ask, because This book, the book of Revelation, deals a lot with the future. And uh, people often have a fascination with the future. I suppose they have a fascination with the good things of the future. Uh, We obviously wouldn't want to know if we wanted to know what the future held and it was full of bad things, we wouldn't want to know it. But there is a kind of a fascination with people with regard to what is the future? What does the future hold for me? But I would turn it this way and say it's very important to find out where you stand with regard to Jesus Christ because uh, as we read this book, he is at the very center of it. It is a book about Christ, the the book of Revelation. And it is so important that we are with Jesus because when you read through the book, the blessings that come to those who are with Jesus are great. Whereas if we're out of Jesus, it's not too good. And that's why it's so important that we examine where we stand even right now. Is our future, as we journey on in life, is our future rooted in Jesus? And it'll only be rooted in Jesus if we are with Jesus right now in the present. And there's always an opportunity, wherever we gather together like this, to ask Jesus to be Lord and to be, to be King king of our lives, because that is absolute key to, key to life, as it were, itself. Now, this word revelation means very simply an unveiling, uh, to take the veil away, and that's what the Lord has done, where, the, as it were, the veil is opened somewhat, and we're given little insights, little glimpses. And the book of Revelation, while it deals with the future, it also deals with history. Uh, there's a merging of things that have been with a merging of things that are yet to be. And so as we read this book, uh, as I said, it gives us great comfort to know that God is in absolute control of everything. Now, the, the person who was given this revelation, of course, was the Apostle John. And we know that John was a great favorite of Jesus. Remember that Jesus had 12 disciples, And there was an inner three of Peter, James, and John. And of that three, John seemed to be Jesus' favorite. 
Because it tells us, it's John himself who talks about it. He talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, Jesus loved all the disciples. But it would appear that Jesus and John had a a closer relationship than, than any of the others. And we often think of John as the disciple of love. But he wasn't always. Because the young John... Uh, he, both himself and James, were termed the sons of thunder. And that was probably a quite a apt description of the kind of people that they were. It would appear to me that the like of John was quite a, quite a volatile character, uh, maybe quite an angry man. And we have a description, an example of John, uh, when he asked Jesus if he would call down fire on the Samaritans in the same way as Elijah had called down fire. And Jesus rebuked John. He said, you don't know what you're asking. So we see that here's this man, this disciple, the apostle of love, that early on he was quite happy that that a group of Samaritans would be consumed by fire. And again, John would have been one of the disciples who tried to chase the women away with the, who came with the little children, the babies. And of course, Jesus again rebuked the disciples. So John wasn't always this great man of love that he later became. But as you read through the Bible, and as you come to John's letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we find there that these letters are full of love, of God's love to us, and our love to and for God, and our love for one another, and how key to life love is. Very different to the early John. And that's how it should be in the Christian life, because the Christian is somebody who should be developing and maturing. And we shouldn't remain exactly the same as we always were. There will always be I suppose flashes of the old will will manifest itself, but there should be a greater movement towards a resemblance of Jesus Christ. It's the same with Peter. Peter was the impetuous Peter. He's always in a rush. He would always speak before he actually thought of what he should say. He used to get us sometimes in trouble. Sometimes great things came out of his mouth, but sometimes wrong things came out. And yet when you come to read Peter's writings, later on, he seems to be almost, uh, there's an incredible patience in his life, where he's extolling the virtues of being patient under trial and under suffering. So different to the earlier Peter. And so it should be in our case as well, that, that we should be developing and maturing as we go on. Often we don't see it. Sometimes we see it the very reverse. As we look at our own lives, we sometimes think, you know, I think I was more patient. I think I was more loving. I think I had more faith and all these things. But that's very often how it is as we go on in the Christian life, that as we, see more, as we get more light, we see more of really what's inside ourselves. And uh, the more we see of what's actually within inside ourselves, uh, the worse often it is. And so we find here that Jesus has given, the Lord has given these, this great revelation to John, uh, where there's this unveiling. 
And it's interesting in the Bible how often you will find that those who walk closest to the Lord are given the greatest insight and given the greatest revelation. You have, for instance, the like of Enoch. Way back, one of the first, Enoch, we're told, walked with God. In other words, his life was a life of uh, communion with God. He really made it the goal of his life to walk closely with God. And remember what it tells us, he was not for God took him. One day God just took him. Enoch never died. God just took him straight to heaven. So here is somebody who, who walked with God. Again, we find Noah. Noah, in his generation, we're told, was a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a really, uh, really close-walking believer with the Lord. And of course, we know how God delivered Noah uh, in the flood. Again, we find the like of Abraham. Abraham was termed the friend of God. Because again, Abraham walked very closely with God. And we find that God gave him great revelation of the future. And in fact, from Abraham, he became the father of the, the Jewish race. And God said that through him, the nations, all the nations of the world would be blessed, which of course was talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses was another man of God. He walked closely with God. Moses was given insights into the glory of God that probably, possibly nobody else or very, very, very few were ever given to see. Remember how when Moses came back down from the mountain, his face shone so brightly from having been in the presence of God for 40 days that the Israelites couldn't look on him. He had to put a veil over his face because he was shining so brightly from having been in the presence of the Lord. You think of Elijah. Elijah was another man who walked so close to God. And God gave Elijah great insights and great revelation. And again, honored Elijah, just like Enoch, by taking him straight to glory without, without going through death. Again, Daniel. Daniel was a man, we're told, was beloved of God. And what did God do for Daniel? Well, he gave him great honor. But he also gave him great revelation and in fact, there's no other book in the Bible so closely resembling the book of Revelation as the book of Daniel. And there's a lot of things actually tie in together as God gave Daniel great revelations regarding the future. And there is no doubt whatever that the closer that you walk with God, the more light you will get, the clearer your vision will be of the Lord, the more that, that you will see him. And then we find here that it, this verse speaks very much about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the return of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of everything, even the Lord's Supper. You know, in the Lord's Supper, we remember the death of Jesus, but we always do so in the light of his coming again. Because it says when we, have the, when we eat this bread and drink this wine, you, you show forth the Lord's death till he come. Because he's coming again. So part of what we're doing at the supper is not only reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done, but of what Jesus is yet going to do, and he's going to return again. 
And so this verse begins very simply by saying, uh, behold or, or look. It's a word that we often find in, in, in the Bible. And the, the Lord is saying here, look, look closely. Not a passing glance, but really study. Look at this. This is something that is going to happen. And it's one of the things that we really have to lay hold upon is the fact that Jesus is coming again. And one of the things, or one of the reasons why so often we maybe don't think so much about it is because of the delay in his coming. You know, when there's a long delay in something happening, uh, initially when you're told something's going to happen, you're all kind of fired up and keyed up and you're all kind of uh, on almost like a high alert ready for. But then when, whenever, whatever it is, there's a delay, we sort of lose that edge and we become maybe more complacent and we lose the urgency, we lose the edge and we just sometimes maybe even forget about it. And that is certainly true with regard to the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know that there will be many times as a Christian you will think about it, but there's many times probably we don't. You know, back in the early church, for instance, in the church in Thessalonica, they were so convinced of the return of Jesus any day that some of them had stopped working. And they said, you know, Jesus is coming. It's probably going to come today. And the next day they'd say, oh, I believe he's going to come today. And so they said, there's no point in us working. They'd given up. Paul told them, no, no, keep working until he comes. We don't know when he's coming. So it, it's, uh, there's this idea. Now, there's been various periods within the church back in the, in the late 1800s or the times when, like, for instance, the Boner brothers, Horatio, Andrew Boner, they lived, the church had, for a period there, lived very much in the light of the, the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's good that we should. It's, we, we should have our focus there. Because one day he is, of course, uh, going to come. But the delay, of course, in his coming uh, can make people very cynical. And many people dismiss it. And in fact, Peter talks about that, that there, he says in the last days there will be mockers saying, where is the return of Jesus? And they'll say, they dismiss all these things. Where is the promise of his coming? Well, the thing is, he is coming again. And one day he's just going to return all of a sudden. Because that's what the Bible tells us. It's going to be a sudden return. And it's a question you, you and I have to ask ourselves. How will it be? If Jesus returns today, Jesus returns tonight, am I ready to meet with him? Well, if you're not, thank the Lord that you've been spared to be ready. So he gives you this opportunity again to get ready to meet with himself because he is, as we say, he's coming again. And it says, behold, he is coming. And the language actually speaks of an event that has already started. So that everything that is happening in this world is a build-up to the return of the Lord Jesus. All that's happening just now. You know, sometimes we look at this world and we just look and we say, my word, we're living in a world of chaos, a world of incredible uncertainty. 
We just don't know what's happening. Our world in the last three years has really turned upside down. And in some ways we think maybe it'll never be quite the same as it was pre-COVID. But between COVID and the war in Ukraine and all these things, we're seeing an ever-changing world. And there's all kinds of things. And there's all financial pressures have started to bear down on us and all kinds of things. And we're saying, what's going on? But you know, over and above all this, all the events that are taking place is all part of the, the fulfillment, the climactic event which is going to be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, there has to be a return of Jesus. Because one of the things that Jesus is going to do is he's going to set up a judgment. And there has to be. The world cries out for judgment. Because there are so many issues to be addressed. When you look at all the injustices that have taken place in this world, that are taking place right now, When you think of all that is wrong in this world, it cannot go just ignored. And the fact that God maybe isn't intervening just now doesn't mean that he's not taking note. But one day there is to be a judgment of all. And it's a solemn thought. But that is what is going to happen. And then we we see the manner of uh, his coming. It tells us, behold, he is coming with the clouds. And it's going to be very obvious that Jesus' coming this time is going to be very, very different to his coming last time. Because when he came last time, it's as if he just slipped in. His glory was veiled. And he came as the babe of Bethlehem. And very few understood or grasped actually who he was. This time, it couldn't be more different. Because he is not coming as a suffering servant, but he is coming as a sovereign Lord and King of kings. And he's coming in the clouds of heaven. And of course, the, the clouds of heaven are his chariot, and the clouds of heaven are always symbolic. It's always symbolic of the glory and presence of God. Any time, or very often when there's a manifestation of God, there is accompaniment of clouds. You have it at Sinai and the giving of the law. Remember when Israel journeyed, through the prom- journeyed to the promised land and they were going through the desert. There was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, a pillar of protection and a pillar to guide them. When the temple was dedicated and Solomon dedicated that, that remember you read about it there, the amazing dedication of the temple. It then tells us that the, the temple filled with clouds with the, the weight, the presence of, of the glory of God. The Mount of Transfiguration. You remember again that they were enveloped in the cloud, which again speaks of the manifestation and the presence and the glory of God. And so in the end times, Jesus himself said, you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So the clouds really are his chariot. And as we say, it's going to be so different to when he came before because it's going to be sudden. It'll be just like lightning. That's where, again, what Jesus tells us very simply, that it's going to take people by surprise. He, Jesus tells us when they ask him, you know, when, what's it going to be like? Well, he said it's going to be like the days of, of Noah and the flood. 
And what happened there? Well, he said they were eating and they were drinking and they were giving, they were marrying and giving in marriage. And what did that mean? It meant it couldn't be more normal. It's the everyday things, things that happen all the time. There was nothing unusual about the day when the flood started. It was a normal day. And Jesus is saying it's going to be just like that when I return. It'll be a day of normality. People won't get up in the morning if it's up in the morning and say, oh, look, it's definite death. This is going to be the day. He's all of a sudden, he's going to return. That's what he keeps saying. And that's why he keeps saying, Jesus said it often in his time here, watch for you do not know in what a day nor an hour the Son of Man will return. Do you know, it's a, it's a secret in heaven because not even the angels know. Jesus said that. They, even the angels don't know when the Son of Man is going to return. But it is an event that is going to happen. So we're told to be prepared for it. And he say, says here, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. We read about things that have a global significance. Well, this is going to be the ultimate global significance that's going to affect every single person. Because every eye is going to see him. Everybody will see him. Every eye will see him. Even those who pushed him. And all the tribes of the earth will, will wail on account of him. Now, when it says here that uh, it says those who pushed him, uh, we know that when only one soldier actually pushed the side of Christ. But in a sense, the pushing of Christ was symbolic of what Israel did to Jesus. Remember what it tells us? He came to his own, and his own received him not. And those who should have known best were responsible for putting him to death. But it also talks about all the, the tribes of the earth. And what's going to happen on that day, it's really quite an extraordinary thing, is that at that moment, everybody will be utterly and altogether convinced of the reality of Jesus Christ. There won't be one skeptic or atheist or agnostic or humanist or doubter at that moment. Everybody will see. Everybody is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that is to the glory of God the Father. There's never going to have been an event ever in the world the like of it. And so that's why Jesus keeps telling us in the Bible, you know, you've got to get ready for this event. It's going to happen. And you know, when you go through the book of Revelation and you come to the end of the book, it's beautiful the way that the book finishes because it tells us it's got the, probably one of the great invitations in the Bible where we're told the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. There's an invitation in Revelation 22 verse 17. Read it yourselves. With the most beautiful invitation given to each and every one in light of the coming of Jesus. And the book of Revelation finishes uh, saying that, uh, that, he, that he comes that he comes, that he's going to come quickly. He's going to come very, very, very soon. That's what it says in the, the very, at the very end of the, the book. Uh, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And the church says, Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is saying to us today, I'm coming soon. And you know, in a sense, when we look at the world we're living in, have you said, 
I'm sure you have. It can't go on like this. The way things are going, we sometimes say that, you know, it can't go on like this. The world is changing at such a speed. And yes, there are many great things in the world, but there are many things that are terrible. And it's like it's going almost out of control. But we've got to remember that above it all, God rules and God reigns. And one day, Jesus is coming back. Are you able to say today, Lord, yeah, great, come quickly, I'm ready. Or are you say, poor, not just now, Lord, I need time to get ready. Well, today is an opportunity to be ready. Ask Jesus into your heart. Let us pray. Lord our God, we pray to help us as we wait upon you. Help us, Lord, to take your word to heart, take it seriously. We pray that it will make an impression for good upon us and that we will be indeed taught of the Lord. Our days are fleeting, they're short. It's soon going to be over. When we were young, we looked out and we thought we'd have many years. But the thing is, we know that every age group are being taken young, middle-aged, elderly. One day it'll be our turn. Help us then, Lord, to be ready for that time. Watch over us, we pray, and do us good. And bless our young folk, those in the creche and uh, those at twinnies. And uh, we pray for all our young again in this day that we live in. Take away our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude singing from Psalm 98 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm number 98 in the Scottish Psalter. We're going to sing from verse 4 to the end. Psalm 98 from verse 4. Last four stanzas. Let all the earth unto the Lord send forth a joyful noise. Lift up your voice aloud to him. Sing praises and rejoice. With harp, with harp and voice of psalms, unto Jehovah sing. With trumpets, cornets, gladly sound before the Lord the King. Let seas and all their fullness roar, the world and dwellers there. Let floods clap hands and let the hills together joy declare. Before the Lord, because he comes to judge the earth, comes he. He'll judge the world with righteousness, his folk with equity. Psalm 98, verses 4 to the end. Let all the earth unto the Lord.
grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.